there are really three trends going on today, two episodic and one systemic. So the two episodic ones are this great resignation, built up demand, people moved, to, people moved, you're a New Yorker, you moved to Florida, you wanna come back to New York, you liked working from home, you, you're prioritizing work-life balance, you don't wanna be in the office full-time, you don't wanna ever go back full-time, you only want part, variety of reasons. So there's this great resignation, childcare is playing into that, et cetera. The other is the incredible demand for, let's call it, you know, less skilled labor, right? That work collar, less skilled labor. And that's also episodic. 9 million people, you know, not in the labor force anymore, 11 million open jobs, right? The last thing we need is more jobs. That's not the problem right now. We got to get people back to work for a variety of reasons. They're not going back. But again, these are all episodic. The systemic trend is really what we call the job hopper economy. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, and uh, welcome back, Googleization Nation. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, or belated Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, or if you're just taking the week off, we're having a few days relaxation, however you're going to celebrate this end of the year. We really appreciate you being here. Unfortunately, we can see I'm alone today. Jason Cochran, my co-host, is not available we we wish him we wish his son quick recovery. Uh, last night I got a text and they were rushed to the hospital and things seem to be pretty stable. Some type of virus infection. Don't know what it is, but uh, he seems to be on the way to recovery. And hopefully Jason will be back next week with us. But we really extend our best wishes and a speedy recovery to them. And hopefully they'll all be able to enjoy Christmas together this weekend. I know they had some big plans. Today is our 49th episode of the year. Usually we do 48 or 49. For anyone who's done a podcast in the past, you'll you'll appreciate how much work goes into it. And the reason we do it is for you. And we must thank you for all the response we had. Our audience grew exponentially last year. A lot more activity, phenomenal guests, as you're going to see today. We have Evan Sohn, who is the chairman, CEO of Recruiter.com. Couldn't be a better time to do that. Uh, and he'll be joining us shortly. Uh, but we couldn't have done it without you, the listeners, without our guests, and certainly without Roxy, who, who kind of keeps us going every week, checking out our sound, helping us record, you know, fixing our mistakes, and a whole lot of other stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So thank you to everyone. We really appreciate it. And those who have, for all the listeners and first-time listeners, welcome. But if you're a regular, a loyal, one of our loyal Googleization Nation, Geek Skeezers Googleization listeners, you know that we typically take a break at this time, but we're not this year because normal and typical don't seem to be part of our vocabulary anymore. And that's why we're here, because the job and labor markets are a mess. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen in 2022. And that's why we're super excited today 
uh, to have Evan Green. Uh, last week we had, by the way, we had Jackie Green from ITR Economics, and she's a labor economist. And if you're if you missed the show, I I urge you to go back in and listen to it about what what's going to happen. And one of the reasons I urge you to do that is ITR Economics has been around for 70 years, but since 1985, they have a 90, almost a 95% accuracy rate in the forecast of the economy. So we talked a lot more than just about the employment market, but if you want to know what our G- GDP, what industries are going to grow, what employment's going to look like, certainly check that one out. And then next week we have Mr. HR, Dave Ulrich will be joining us. If you don't know who he is, you can just look him up, but you're not going to want to miss that show. Get a heads heads up of what's happening with human resources in the in the future and how it needs to change. But today we have Evan Sohn, and I'm, I'm excited to welcome him. He is, as I just mentioned previously, he's the CEO of Recruiter.com, also chairman of them. He recruiter.com seems to be at the epicenter of what's going on. They have a recruiter index that is just phenomenal. And you know, we check it out and they they've got some great research going on and can't wait to hear about that. And also he is a co-founder of the Irisone Foundation, which is dedicated to to research of pediatric can- cancer. And so we're excited to welcome I'm excited to welcome Evan to the show. So, Roxy, you can bring him on in. There he is. Let me get move my screen around here. Evan, welcome. Happy holidays. Hey, Ira. Thanks so much for having me. Happy holidays to you as well. Yeah. So, what's new? What, where do we start with, with, with this? Hard to believe, but how the heck did we get to uh, December 2021 already? So. You know, it's look, I, you know, I, I have a few different lives at the same time in parallel, and I became CEO of Recruiter.com in June of 2020. And we really set a mission out really uh, as part of this you know, ending of the pandemic, or we, we kind of recognize that when the pandemic is over, the job market's going to be in complete disarray. Who, who knew it would be in this much of a disarray for a variety of factors that we could certainly talk about. Um, but, you know, we sat at the beginning of 21 and mapped out where we want to be at the end of 21. And, uh, you know, we've hit just about every one of our objectives. So from a business perspective, so real pleased. We have a great team at Recruiter.com really top to bottom and exciting customers, clients, 200 plus recruiters out on assignment now. You know, it's really, our software is doing amazingly well, 150 million plus profiles indexed, really ready to, you know, help companies of all sizes recruit talent smarter and faster. Absolutely. So kind of in, well, in a nutshell, for the handful of people who may not have ever have heard about recruiter.com, what is it you do? I mean, if I'm, I'm an employer, yeah, sure. I reach out to you, why would I call you? Yeah. So look, companies need a new way to either build their candidate funnels or get butts in seats, right? The old way just doesn't work or work slower. And we're seeing all these numbers happen. So what do companies need to do? Companies need to augment their internal talent acquisition teams. And either they want to do it with, with on-demand recruiters. So recruiters that are available, highly segmented, highly specialized with the right type of experience level that they're looking for from junior to very senior. And they want to be able to add those recruiters, talent acquisition professionals to their teams on an on-demand basis, one month, two months, 12 months, et cetera. And we make that happen and through our platform. So you could think of, you know, if you're looking at the gig platforms today, like Upwork or Fiverr, 
Angie's List, you know, that's what we do, but for talent acquisition. And if you're going to have on-demand services, you might as well have on-demand tools. And we have our own artificial intelligence software and engagement platform, millions of dollars invested into it. Like that helps us build candidate pipelines of candidates interested in raising their hand and getting involved very, very quickly. And we combine these two together to really help our clients. So we have clients that are small, just subscribing to our software. We have clients that are large, that have you know 10 plus recruiters on demand with our tools, et cetera, and everything in between. So let's just dive into this thing. I mean, the question is, is I, I get all the time, I'm sure you get it more or at least as much. When's all this going to end? I mean, it's beyond what's 2022 going to be like, but, you know, it's like, when is this great resignation going to end? When, when are, when are we going to, when are the job shortages, the labor shortages and not job shortages? We've got too many jobs. When are the labor shortages going to end? Yeah. So there are really three trends going on today, two episodic and one systemic. So the two episodic ones are this great resignation built up demand, people moved to people moved, you're a New Yorker, you moved to Florida, you want to come back to New York, you liked working from home, you you're prioritizing work life balance, you don't want to be in the office full time, you don't want to ever go back full time, you only want part variety of reasons. So there's this great resignation. Child care is playing into that, etc. The other is the incredible demand for let's call it, you know, less skilled labor, right? That work collar less skilled labor. And that's also episodic. 9 million people, you know, not in the labor force anymore, 11 million open jobs, right? The last thing we need is more jobs. That's not the problem right now. We got to get people back to work for a variety of reasons. They're not going back. But again, these are all episodic. The systemic trend is really what we call the job hopper economy. And this is, this culminates with a survey that was done that showed 60% of millennials had no problem leaving their, a job within six months. Right, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, wrote an article about six weeks ago begging employees to please stay with their employer for at least 24 months. Begging, 24 months. So the notion that we all grew up with, which is, oh, you got to stay at your first job for four years. You got the gold watch for 25 years working at General Motors or wherever you work. You know, that has changed. Now, we start to see that change out on the West Coast. You saw it was regular to see a resume for someone who's been at four companies in 12 years because they're an incredibly experienced software engineer. They went from startup to startup to startup to startup, and that's totally fine. So this job hopper economy is is not going away. People are now work-life balance priority. They're interested in new experiences. Compensation is no longer the highest priority for people. And all these things that are happening, that is not going away. And that's going to change. So these three things have really caused this huge surge for recruiters and talent acquisition professionals. And I think it's causing... You know, we we called it earlier this month, we called it the, the great reevaluation, right? I heard someone on CNBC this morning, I think a Harvard professor called it the rethinking. I'm like, you couldn't use what we said earlier this Reshuffle, month? Reshuffle, the reset, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like, yeah, look, there's a great reevaluation going on here now. And what's happening, Ira, is that companies and employees are now thinking about how do we, and right now there's this huge demand, candidate, it's a candidate's market in December 22, 21. It's huge, right? So what do I need to do to fill those seats? And it's a very much candidate-focused market. That's going to really morph, we believe, and we just issued a press release this morning on our predictions for 22, mm -hmm. is really work from anywhere is going to morph to hire from anywhere. And I think what's going to happen is that companies are going to say, look, I'm now going to optimize for what I want, right? Our culture, and because I can hire from anywhere, hey, the culture that we want to create is this. 
And we're just going to look for employees that align with those, with, with those, with those, with those uh, parameters. So I think there is this great reevaluation on the employee side, on the company side, but what's going to really come out to is companies are really going to start to think about what do they want from their own company. And, and by the way, kudos to, you know, Spotify, who said we're going to be hundred percent virtual for the next, you know, couple of years, feel free to work from anywhere, but also kudos to, you know, JP Morgan that said thou shalt return to the office. Why not? You know, why, why should we, and why should we define how that company wants to attract employees? If they want to attract employees who want to have that face-to-face -face experience, who want to have that hand-holding training process, that's their prerogative. Yeah, absolutely. I want to come back to the six, because there were six, there are five other predictions you had, you know, beyond the, beyond the, the work. But let me just go back to something you said. I'm going to put on my, you know, they call me the millennial and the baby boomer body and the baby boomer body I can't change. But is that I think the, it was the conference board that just came out and said that the rate of change in job hopping is twice as high for baby yeah. boomers as it is for millennials and Gen Z as well. So, you know, as much as, and I wrote a book about yeah, it. Yeah, and, no, and, I, I agree. <laughs> I completely agree with you. You know what? It's not, it's, you know, my, my, uh, my wife teaches a course at one of the local colleges here in the business school on career strategies. And, you know, she always jokes around, it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be for college students. It should be for people who have been, you know, having their career change. We see more and more of that happening, not just in the millennial section. Look, I think, Ira, the reality is that part of why there's a job hopper world now is that I can, as an, as a, as an employee, work from anywhere. So I can find a company that will let me work from anywhere with the skills that I want. So I am no longer bound by a 45-minute commute. You know, think about all the all the jobs that you didn't even pursue because they were geographically undesirable. It's just it's just not going to happen anymore. And what I what I'm what I mean by that is, if someone wants Ira Wolf, they'll hire Ira Wolf. And if you you know, there were companies that wanted me to move out to California. I'm not going to do it. Okay, then that's a non-starter. That's not going to happen anymore. And I think so. First of all, I could work from anywhere for the right person. The right person could work from anywhere. And again, we're talking about you know, the knowledge worker roles, not the factory workers and the restaurants. Let, let's leave those aside here now. But this is really creating that economy, that job hopper economy. By the way, the expression, it's a full-time job to find a job. I highly doubt someone would actually coin that term in, in uh, you know, 22, right? <laughs> it just wasn't because it's not a full-time job anymore to find a job. You go online, you, you look at the jobs on LinkedIn or ZipRecruiter or whatever it is, you could apply, easy to apply to 20 jobs, 30 jobs or more, and you could interview over Zoom, right? It's not a full-time job to find a job anymore. You have so many more opportunities because for the right person with the right skill set who could work from anywhere, the whole world is your potential employer. It's pretty crazy. So if you combine this notion of it's easy to actually find, it's easy to apply for a job. Let's let's not worry about getting hired. It's easy to apply for a job. It's easy to interview for a job. I can work from anywhere. I have no geographic restrictions anymore. And the stigma of leaving a company every two years is gone. If that's gone, well, guess what? That's really what's going to propel this job hopper economy. And that fits in line. You know, I've been talking the last five years about recruiting in the age of Googleization. And in a part of it was the world was going to change. We didn't know it was going to change. We knew it was going to change quickly. We just didn't anticipate it would be 2020. 
that that would be the kind of a catapult to throw us into the future. But we talked talked a lot about how how the recruitment process needed to change, not because it needed to be improved, but because the way that job seekers apply for jobs, they seek jobs. And when, when we mapped it out, and this came through a kind of collation of different, a lot of research, is that when when I first started to apply for a job, and probably when you did, basically, you know, you got the Sunday newspaper, or you went to Monster or Career Builder, you had an idea of here's my job, here's my job title, here's my qualifications. I went out, I had to fill out an application, I had to make a commitment, or I had oh, to okay. recreate, I had oh. to recreate my resume, I had to go through all these steps, I had to even drive down to the place of business and fill it out because they weren't online. So there was a commitment right away is I want a new job, I have to make a commitment to get it. And then with technology, it it was essentially is, oh, I can do it one time, fill in the blanks and press a button and it goes out to a hundred places. So the so a lot of the reasons that that there's these this ghosting according to companies is because the process changed. And I can apply to a hundred jobs and then you call me from recruiter.com and say, hey, I'm interested. We're looking for you. And I go, I don't even remember applying for that job. Tell me about it. Or I don't even respond to you because the day I hit the button, applied to a hundred jobs, I was having a bad day. And today's not so bad or it's the end of the year. I'm going to wait for my Christmas bonus. So it seems that the way that job seekers, and you described that very eloquently, the way that job seekers are looking for jobs is way different than the way companies are hiring people. Yeah. So look, one of the things that needs to change is that the time that it takes to put people into positions has to change that whole process, right? That, that actually has to change a lot, you know, throughout 22, you know, in 2020, it took the average can't, the average role was filled in 42 days. No one has 42 days anymore, right? 42 days. And most of it was scheduling, right? We found someone, we had to schedule it. We're going to get you on the calendar with Judy. Judy's out next week. Let's have her meet a week from Tuesday. You'll be able to speak with Fred. You know, it was a whole long process. 42 days later, you're right. I've already applied to another batch of jobs. I've done interviews. I've done hire, you know, done video interviews, whatever it is. That, that whole process needs to happen much, much, much faster. I completely agree. You know, look at the college application process with Common Apps. You know, you and I filled out applications, you know, by hand or with a typewriter. And now it's, you fill out, click, 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 click. And I've now applied. And so don't be surprised where, you know, universities are now inundated with applications because it's too easy to, it's just so easy to apply to a job. It just is. But enrollments are going down. So which which mirrors the, you know, what the labor, the job market is. What are some of the other changes, you know, well, two things is one is let's start with the recruiter index. You talk a lot about that. You have a lot of research going on. You know, what are you, what are you finding or what's what's the biggest, I guess, aha moment or biggest yeah, shock? So right the, the aha moment is, is just how accurate the recruiter index has been. So we started this really in May of 2020. We surveyed our recruiters thinking recruiters would be sort of like the air traffic controllers for the job market. You know, what's coming, what's going, what's their sentiment, what are they seeing, et cetera. And they've been accurate, I think, all but one month. So this past month, we actually, our sentiment, which, uh, you know, the overall sentiment is out of five. It went from a 3.9 last month to 3.6. So it dipped three points. And we're sitting there going, and we looked at the data itself and there are a variety of reasons and compensation was now a 25% priority and there were different volume levels. But all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, you know, the recruiters are seeing much harder. And we actually got on, you know, when we talk about it on CNBC, we were basically saying it's getting harder. Filling these roles is hard, 
right? I'm working on more jobs. I'm working on you know jobs that I never worked on before because we're we're using recruiters in the lower income level. Like we saw a real big growth in the forty thousand, eighty thousand job category with recruiters, mm-hmm. and you know that's the volume hiring, right? That's not the needle in a haystack. You know that's the real that's the factory worker, the the manufacturer, et cetera. And we said, it's getting really, really hard. Like we don't, you know, it wasn't rosy colored glasses right now. And so it's, it's a challenge. Filling these roles is a challenge. And I think that, you know, companies need to, you know, companies need to get a bigger funnel, right? No longer can you say, well, I, I got a hundred resumes. I screened 50. I, you know, screen went through 50. I phone screened 25 and I brought five in for interviews and I ended up with one. You might need to triple that number to get to that same one because things are just happening so quickly. So just so everybody, the, the listeners are are familiar with this, when you're talking about the recruiter index, this is really like the recruiter confidence scale or recruiter, yeah. recruiter sentiment scale, uh, so what they're feeling. Yeah, there. so we, we, survey, we survey our network every month. We actually survey throughout the month. So it's, it's an ongoing survey. And then we publish the results once a month. And it ranges everything from... Are the jobs that they're looking at, for the most part, new jobs or are they backfill roles? And we use that data to really show that while while the numbers are good, so many of those jobs were backfill, like they were re- you know uh, filling up roles. There are people that tra- that resigned. And once we saw those numbers, we saw, gee, we called that a couple months ago. Two months ago in, in October, we actually said the great resignation is upon us. And we saw the numbers that the, the backfill numbers overtook the new job numbers in terms of what percentage of roles are new versus backfill. And we said uh, the great resignation is upon us. And a week later, they announced, you know, that 4.3 million people quit the month before. We're like, yeah, we, we got it. We, we, we saw that in the recruiter index. We've seen industries. We track what industries are, are the recruiters workly, mo- working mostly in with their roles. Healthcare, IT services. We saw a pickup in, in retail when, when it was supposed to happen. So things that we actually look at, those sort of trends, movements, we also track candidate priorities from the recruiter's perspective. Like what are your candidates' highest priorities? And we watched compensation, which probably went from 44% out of 100% in terms of first priority, drop to 25%. Incredible that, that today, you know, 75% of candidates view non-compensation as their highest priority. Yeah. Work-life balance, remote work, new experiences. And I think that companies could use this data to really start to figure out how to build the culture that they want. And across the board, I mean, obviously companies are throwing, you know, bonuses, dollars, increasing wages incrementally, whatever it might be. Yeah, that's, that's easy, Ira, right? Oh, absolutely. But, but you know, I just finished my class, I'm an adjunct professor, and, and we're talking about organizational change. And we talk about the, for those that might be familiar, the red, you know, the blue ocean strategy, red ocean, blue ocean, and, and certainly throwing more, throwing more money at people is a really short-term solution. And it doesn't solve the retention problem at all. And, you know, so flexibility seems to be number one, you know, one of the top priorities. What are some of the other benefits or what are some of the, the companies that are, that are doing it well? What are you seeing? What are they doing right to adjust? I think that, you know, I saw, I heard an ad the other day for Amazon and Amazon does everything right. You know, they're just great at this. And the ad was, hey, be a holiday packer, right? Do you need extra money for the holidays? Come work early hours, late hours, weekend hours, you know, great salary, you know, great hourly rate. So what did they do? They took, a, they took a, you know, a shipping packing job and they turned it into a gig, right? So, hey, I want to make extra money. Let's take that insert, instead of saying, hey, do you want to work in a, fa- you know, you want to work in a, sh- in, in a warehouse, 
Mm-hmm. No one, you know, I, I, the, the audience they were going after were not people that said, oh, I want to work in a warehouse. The audience that they went after are like, hey, I need extra money for the holidays and here's how I'm going to do it. And I, and I think that that's, that's just a great example of a company doing something innovative and novel in order to attract employees. You know, there was a company upstate New York that was advertising, we're hiring non-vaccinated employees. Now, I'm not going to posture vaccine mandates and non-vaccine mandates. That's not the issue. To me, this was, wow, what, a, what an innovate, a company trying to do something innovative in order to attract employees. You know, a company that has a, bir- uh, has a, a, a nursing room. Why do they have a nursing room in their office? Well, they're trying to attract a certain people that care about, again, why not? I, I worked in a company that had a prayer room. Why would you do that? Well, we're trying to attract people. We're trying to create a culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, I think companies that are being innovative and thinking about how do we attract employees? I think the culture, you know, we talked about this trend being, you know, business community is going to evolve a lot. And that conversation about what community are we trying to build inside of our organization, right? What does that look like? And being able to attract the candidates that align, you know, today I only want Today you're trying to fill a role. I need a Java developer with you know with five years of experience, et cetera. I think tomorrow it's going to be I need a Java developer that's really good working in a fill in the blank environment because I don't want I want to align our culture, whatever that is, the community that we're creating at this business. I want to align that with the candidates that we attract. I think it's going to put a lot more pressure on recruiting. So I find that to be an exciting time for us. You know, so interesting that you brought it up. I just had a conversation with a call center client the other day. And, you know, we talked about renewing and they said, well, we have to sell this to management because we're, we still have turnover. And I go, compared to the rest of the industry, where are you? But the reality is they said, well, you know, we, we're looking for these people. We have employees that have been here for 15 and 20 years, and we're really struggling on the people that are there in the first year. And I said, well, how long do the people stay in the, that are there for the first year? What's their churn? And can't remember the number, but it was like 62 days or something. And I said, so if we worked on it, that they stayed from 62 days to 90 days, 60 days to 90 days, you cut your turnover in half, your churn in half, which goes back to what you were just talking about with the gig economy. If they approached it as let's hire gig workers for this job because we can't get them to stay for a year or five years or 10 years. If we could get them to stay for three months, let's see if we can extend that to six months. Right. No, I agree. I think, you know, retention bonuses that vest over a period of time. But, you know, uh, one of our one of our clients is a big technology company and I was musing around with their global head of talent. And I said to him, why don't you actually sell it as a 24 month project? Hey, come work at this company. It's 24 months. We'll pay you a boatload of money. Right. You'll get a nice little, you know, big, uh, big, you know, big bonus when it's over. And if you choose to stay and do another project at this company, we'll give you, you know, four months paid vacation. You know, that all of a sudden we're buy into that process, buy into the fact that this has to be an experience. You know, we had a a call center client also. And my advice to them was don't call it call center. Don't call it customer service rep. You know, call it, you know, hey, we could help you get your first job experience. Right. Be something that, hey, look, this is a 12 month process. It's a 12 month project. You're going to learn these skills, these skills, these skills, and then you graduate. And when you graduate after 12 months, you can either go this here, this year. Oh, it's 12 month. So change the actual way that we talk about these, you know, these experiences. There was an ad, there was an article, I think, in the Wall Street Journal, I, I think two weeks ago. No one wants to be called assistant manager. Right. No one wants to be the right. assistant. So, okay. So who cares? Don't call me assistant manager anymore. You're a manager in training and there's a probation. Who cares? 
you know, you got to get creative. I think you said something before, Ira, that's really relevant. You know, thinking that everything's going to return back to normal the way it was, probably not going to happen. So is that is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Let's not, you know, I don't care, right? It doesn't matter, right? It really doesn't. I mean, history will talk about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. But we have to recognize that the way we did things before is not the way we're going to do things next. And if we're seeing churn, we're seeing churn like never before, all right, how do we how do we change that? And and you're right. I think it might be how do I change that for get another month out of a, another month out of an employee or is it, you know, hey, how do I attract the right employees that aren't going to leave? And I think it's going to be very fascinating. I think it's going to be very very interesting as companies start to say, "Here, look, here's what we're prioritizing and let's find the candidates that align with this priority." Yeah, for sure. Hey, Evan, I know we talked about we're we're about half we're about 1:30 here Eastern time. Just want to make sure, can you stick around for a couple more minutes yet? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, has, has happened is there's a lot of talk about diversity. And this just came across my desk this morning, I, I, or I just read it. I don't know if it's a new article or not, but with McKinsey and, and they, it was about the black experience and they looked and I can't remember the number. I think there is, oh, it's four out of, out of the fortune 500 companies, there's four black CEOs. And then I quickly went to to look up how many females there are. There's 41, which is way, way under representation of where we are. So, you know, looking at community, culture, the emphasis on diversity, inclusion and equity, you know, are, are you, what are you seeing in some of the research that you're doing? Is, are you seeing these incremental changes or are we going to see big changes in 2022, 2023? What's ahead? Yeah, so it's one of our top six predictions is that diversity is going to become a much bigger issue. Look, I think the opportunity for companies to rehire, right? You know, we're doing a rehire, right? We're rebuilding our, our teams, we're rebuilding, we're changing the way we're thinking about things. And I think that there was a great survey that said 75% of executives would leave their company to find a company with diversity initiatives. So, you know, the executives even want it. People really want this diverse range of employees there, a diverse workplace, et cetera. And, and I think that companies are going to use, hopefully use this opportunity to make, you know, DEI a priority across, you know, all levels of the business in terms of its, in terms of an overall priority. And, and I think we're going to see companies look at tools and do diversity audits and to make sure that they're balancing out you know, who they're hiring and who they're promoting, et cetera. But, you know, fundamentally, I believe that diversity actually has to start at the top of the funnel not at the bottom of the funnel. You know, it's not fair to say, all right, here are the five final candidates. You know, these four are better than this one, but we have to hire this one because they're diverse. What you really should do is start at the top of the funnel is to say, look, we're going to run a process and we're going to make sure that the process is focused at diversity. We're going to only focus on diversity or we're going to pr prioritize diversity at the top of the funnel, not at the bottom of the funnel. Yeah, there's just a tremendous amount of work there. And, then, and the other part of that McKinsey article or, or research was, uh, of how the majority of low-paying jobs are frontline workers and the majority is black. So, you know, workers. And so there, there's there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot of work to do. People are, you know, we get into education, you know, what are the education levels and poverty levels and, you know, well beyond the scope of what we can change, but it, it's complicated and it's going there. We covered, I think, most of your predictions. We talked about diversity. We talked about remote work, hybrid work, what did we miss on, on your six? No, you know, I think what's funny is, you know, three years ago, we were talking about the efficacy of remote work, right? The efficacy of letting someone work from home. 
Two and now you're like, yeah, what was it? The conference board or, or there was a or yeah. study. It was like 2% of executives said, think, yeah, we, I think it will work in our company. 98% said it won't. And then six months later, it was like 50% said, yeah, right. it'll work. <laughs> right. You know, so there's an argument that says that, you know, we will, we will come back to some sort of compromise, right? Employees never want to work in the office. CEOs want everyone to work in the office. You know, so there's, oh, there's always this great compromise. We recruit.com. We are a full on, you know, remote operation. We have a great partnership with WeWork. We use WeWork office for our headquarters. Management tries to get together physically once a month. At least some of the management that's actually more in the Northeast area. It, you know, we, we struggle with it. It's one of our top priorities is how to be, you know, an A plus, how to drive an A plus culture in a virtual environment. And that's one of our priorities. Hitting our revenue numbers for 22 is a priority. Yeah. So really in our top four priorities, one of them is how to build, you know, we want to build an A plus culture in a virtual environment. And I think that prioritizing hybrid remote, you know, the, these things actually used to, they always existed, you know, go to any consulting firm and you had people out in the field, go to any organization that had sales people and you always had salespeople out in the field, go to a development company and you always had multiple groups that were doing your IT development. These are in larger organizations. And I think there are lessons to be learned from those organizations about how to run a, you know, remote virtual hybrid environment. And again, I think this really goes into this notion of being able to, you know, really hire from anywhere, work from anywhere. You know, no longer do I need to find people that are in a 45 minute radius of my office. I can find someone that that's, you know, in a, in a, in a, a state, you know, midway, you know, midway and say, Hey, I want you to come in where I could find someone in a completely different state altogether and say, I need you to come in once a month, once a month for two days or whatever that environment is. So I think this, you know, one of our, our big shifts is really seeing this. I mentioned it before, work from anywhere, really morph into hire from anywhere. And you're seeing that now you're seeing companies look outside the U S for employees even. Right. If I need skilled labor, how do I get developers over in Albania? How do I do that? And how do I make Albania actually part of my organization, not just, you know, freelance workers in Albania, build an office, you know, in in Albania for developers there. And again, I'm just, you know, using that as an example. So I think this work from anywhere to hire from anywhere, balancing out cultural priorities, building community, and at the same time, leveraging, adhering to the diversity priorities for the company. Yeah, it, it's going to, well, it's certainly going to be interesting. And that's certainly a, a you know, a way underestimated, a, a bland word <laughs> to use for 2022. One of the, one of the things that we've, we've started to ask, one of my favorite questions is, is, you know, what, what should we be asking? What should I be asking you that I'm not, you know, what, what should employers be asking that, you know, that they're not, what are they missing? Well, I think there's very little benchmarking today on churn right? Employee, you know, non, sorry, regrettable churn, right? <laughs> Technical term, right? So I think that there's, there's not a lot of benchmarking on why people are leaving the companies that they're leaving. I think that'll be very interesting. I think that the, I think that's a question that companies should be asking. I think companies should be asking, are we fishing in the right pools for candidates? How do I make sure that I have a constant pipeline of candidates? How do I build a bench, right? What should I be doing inside my company to get people to stay for three years. That means maybe I'm getting them at an earlier side of their career and helping them upskill them to actually, you know, serve those jobs. You know, and I think those are probably the questions that we're seeing more and more again. I get a lot of, are we doing better than everybody else, right? You know, are we, how are we doing relative to everybody else? You know, so we, we get that a lot. And I think the other thing that we're going to see is really the emergence of recruiting as a career. 
right now, no one went to school to become a, you'll see this not next year, like in the next couple of years, like no one went to school to become a recruiter, right? You could become a DJ, you know, you could become a radio personality. You go media, you study media communications, et cetera. You know, no one, there's no course called, I went to study recruiting. And we really believe that that will emerge in the next, you know, three years as a, as a bona fide career. I majored in organizational psychology, a minor in communications. I studied psychology, whatever that is, they'll put a curriculum together to be a recruiter because it's going to be, you know, if you think about a company, their greatest asset is the people that work there and who better to oversee those assets and then the, and the supply chain of those assets than talent acquisition professionals. Yeah. And there's certainly movements that, you know, there's certifications now for talent acquisition. You know, there's some, some really good groups that would be able to do that, but to formalize that and, right. and to say you want to be a career. Usually it's like, oh, I like to work with people. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go into HR or I'm going to be a trainer. And then somebody, somehow you ended up in the role of hiring people, interviewing people because you were, you may not have been good at it. You were just better than everybody else at doing it or you, or you didn't mind doing it. And that was the pathway, but you're right. Nobody decided that we're going to become a recruiter. You joined, and I forgot to ask this in the beginning, you joined recruiter.com in June of 2020. Sort of. Yeah. And I actually, I became CEO in June of 2020. I joined in April of March of 2019. As okay, so right before. Okay. So I was yeah. going to ask if, if you joined because there was opportunity or because you liked yeah. an enormous challenge. No, no. <laughs> I actually, I sat down with the board in in April, end of April, May of 2020, and 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 the founders of the company, and I said, you know, when this pandemic is over, the job market's going to be an absolute disarray, and who better take a who better to be there to help that process than a company called Recruiter.com? Yeah. So I didn't know it was going to be in this much of a disarray. Uh, I know. I wrote I wrote recruiting in the age of Googleization in 2017, and then and in February 2020 came out with the second edition with no clue. Oh, obviously there you know it was released, but I prepped it in the in the fall of 2019, so I had no idea that you know that so much was going to happen in, in yeah, school, yeah. Totally. So short a period of time. So before we go, we're almost at the end here. You have another. You have a passion project. You have you are co-founder of the Iris Zone. Good good great name which was your brother, I believe. Tell me, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my brother, Ira Sohn, di died in 1993, one day short of being 29 from cancer. And he was Wall Street trader and his manager friends got together and they wanted to do something to honor him, uh, commemorate his memory and raise money for pediatric cancer. And they had this great idea of putting on a conference in a, in a very novel way. So, you know, they really created the 15 minute shot clock that you see at TED Talks, like they were doing that 26 years ago. The first conference raised about 70 people on it. Most of them related to uh, either the, you know, the, the founders or uh, my family. And now we've grown over the years and foundationed it a couple of years later. So uh, the Iris Zone Foundation, the Zone, the Zone Conference Foundation. We've raised close to $100 million now on a global basis for pediatric cancer or other childhood diseases. So we have our big conferences in, is in New York. It's a big hedge fund conference. And there we, uh, we have in 10 other cities around the world. So Australia, Sydney, Australia, Tel Aviv, Hong Kong, London, Monaco, really Geneva. There's one in Canada, San Francisco, uh, Sao Paulo. I think, I think I got them all. Oh, oh Mumbai is another one. So uh, it's pretty exciting. And you know, all the money really goes to pediatric cancer and other childhood diseases. Yeah. So, so awesome. And you know, what a great celebration of, of your brother's life. So thank you. Appreciate thank you. that. So any final comments? We're just about- Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. So one final comment is 
you know, despite all the artificial intelligence, despite the bots, despite the ZipRecruiter and the Indeeds and the LinkedIn's, you know, despite all those things, recruiting still is, at the end of the day here, a human interaction. No one walks into a company. I don't care if you're the dishwasher or you're the CEO. No one walks into a company without speaking to somebody. No one says, oh, I'm showing up to work. Yeah, the bot told me to come in today. I got the job. There's always an interaction. Recruiting is a human interaction. And we embrace that. We're not called norecruiter.com. We're called recruiter.com. We embrace that. And our goal really is to allow the talent acquisition professional to spend more time in those meaningful conversations and less time trying to find the candidates. And that's really, you asking about our software and our tools, that's really why we combine them together. Because we want the recruiter who today probably spends 80% of their time finding the candidate and 20% of the time in meaningful conversations to flip that. And you know, that's, that's what we really uh, feel is necessary now. And more now more than ever, you really want to align the company's culture and their goals and objectives, certainly as we come out of this pandemic, with the candidates. And that's a human interaction. That's making sure that I don't just get a butt in the seat for the company, but to really have a conversation and make sure, as you said, how do we extend that, 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 that employment at that company? I don't know how many times I said over the last two years, three years, you know, for the thousands of people that I, I spoke with or on podcasts is, is that problem was, is that that HR sold and, and recruiters in general sold out to the technology. I mean, they, they basically said, we're going to hire the, use this technology to make my life easier, make my job easier when they should have made it to make it better. You know, right. what's the focus of it? And, you know, well, we're going to buy this ATS and we're going to follow that process because it must be good. And, you know, it needs to change. So it's really a human, you know, it goes back to the cobot. You know, it's a human technology collaboration yeah. and we need to become much better at that. Evan, I know you got a like super crazy schedule, busy, really, really, really appreciate you being here, having this conversation. Thanks for allowing, you know, allowing time to do this. You bet. Thank you so much, Ira. And looking forward to uh, continuing the conversation in the weeks and months ahead. Have a happy new year. Very happy Cheers, new year. Take care. Cheers. Well, Googleization Nation, what, a, what an opportunity. Appreciate uh, you being here today. Certainly appreciate Evan for being with us. It's you know a lot of insights. Hopefully you'll you'll share the message, re-listen to it again. A lot of nuggets in there. I'm, I'm certainly going to take another listen to it. I didn't want to interrupt or, or be distracted by taking a lot of notes, but there were so many great comments in there. So hopefully that this will give you some insight, maybe some urgency, maybe some ideas about what's ahead. You know, as I'm talking about the clues, cues, and views of 2020. One thing we didn't talk about, and this came out last week, and I know Evan's research points to this, and it was one of the predictions that they had, that the great resignation and labor shortages and job growth are going to continue well into late 2022, into 2023, and maybe beyond. So we definitely have to change that the way you do things. And then we, you know, we talk about adaptability all the time. We hope next week, we hope you'll take some time off your holiday week and sit back and listen to our next week's show with Dave Ulrich. And hopefully that you'll share, you know, you'll listen again and share the news about today's show with Evan Sohn and last week's with Jackie Green from ITR Economics about what the 2022 economy, labor market, job markets are going to look like. We wish, again, I'll, I'll wish Jason's son a very well, a quick recovery. Certainly extend our best wishes to Jason and his family for a Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday Weekend. He hopefully will be back next week. I want to thank Roxy again for being here and hope she has a great holiday weekend as well. And she will be working next week with us, at least on Wednesday at 1 p.m. Until next week, don't let the shift 
Hit your plans.